Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. So, hi, welcome back to Resilience Unraveled and welcome today to a person whose name sums up everything we all wish we'd like. Today, we're talking to Jennifer Wisdom. What a name! Fantastic. Other than the teeth and the toothpaste, you are the third most famous wisdom I've ever heard of. <laughs> Don't forget truth and beauty. Those are important. Uh, you come before <laughs> those things. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. That's great. Well, um, so give us a bit of a, an outline, uh, Jennifer. I mean, what, what do you, how do you describe what it is you do? Uh, sure. So I'm trained as a clinical psychologist yeah. and I currently were, I worked for about 20 years in academia and I now am an entrepreneur. I run my own business, Wisdom Consulting, and I work with folks in kind of my area of expertise, which is as a bridge, essentially. I, I work between clinical services and research and policy and kind of helping organizations make sense of those things. And then I'm also an author of Millennials Guide to Work and Millennials Guide to Management and Leadership. And I'm working on more Millennials Guides because I just find it so important that we do everything we can. We, meaning I'm a Gen X person, <laughs> that we do everything we can to help millennials coming up and uh, help them deal with us older folks who, uh, many of whom are not very happy with millennials for some reason I still don't understand. Well, we'll come on to that in a minute. Um, <laughs> okay. So, so this is the, the books you've written are to help us understand millennials or help millennials understand their, uh, help how to make their way in the world. Yeah, help millennials understand us. I, I was so interested in work and uh, helping young people through work. I looked up, I kept hearing all of these negative things about millennials. They're lazy or they're entitled or they're all these things. So I looked up and saw what, what's been written. And everything I found was written for Gen X and baby boomers to understand millennials, like they're zoo animals or something. How do you get the best out of your millennial employees? How do you raise your millennial adult children and, and all of that stuff. And there wasn't anything written for millennials to help them deal with us in the workplace. And okay. they are so far from lazy. I have yet to talk to a millennial who doesn't have at least two jobs, usually three or four, and a, a side hustle and a, a passion project on the side. They're yes. incredible. And I've really right. been enjoying it. Well, let's get into that in a moment. Sure, sure. <laughs> but tell me a bit about yourself. I mean, you touched a little bit on your background. Just um, sort of walk us through sort of some of the key steps, just so we understand a little bit about you. Sure. Um, so I was born in Florida, 
in the U.S. Uh, of my father is from a long uh, history of Americans, came over from Holland in the early 1600s. And then my mother is the child of immigrants. I'm not sure how they got together, um, but I've kind of, that kind of started the sense of duality for me. Right. Um, and my mom was born in New York. And so it was, there was this whole sense of being in the middle of everything the yeah. entire time growing up between the old and the new world and um, immigrant and not immigrant and accents and food and everything was totally different. So I, we moved, uh, my parents got divorced when I was around three and we, we moved, I just still don't quite understand why. We weren't broke, we weren't getting evicted, but I, I don't know if they were just bored or what, but every two years. And my parents have continued moving about every two years. Wow. Um, yeah, so, it, you know, it, on the one hand, it was really devastating because I had to leave friends over and over again. I had to yeah. readjust to a new school. But on the other hand, I got really good at that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um, it, I lear it's had to learn. Yeah, I had to learn how to be resilient and how to make friends quickly and how to adjust to new environments. And yes. uh, while I wouldn't suggest it as, a, as a, a way to build resilience in your kids, it certainly had that effect on me. Yeah, well, it's interesting. There's nothing like being thrown at the deep end and learning right. friends and, you know, meeting people. There's all skills. So the more you do it, you know, assuming that you can be successful and humans tend to be, don't we? We do quite well. I love the way that you describe yourself as a bit of a geek, though. Oh, so, um, <laughs> Definitely. And, and you do things like do great big long exercise things as well. You make me feel very guilty reading your CV. It's quite hard work. Just <laughs> I'm exhausted just reading it. Very, very oh, interesting. <laughs> thanks. You know, I, I think one of the things that that I gained from such a odd childhood is coping strategy of kind of just putting my shoulder into the work. And so school was always a safe haven. Even, when, even if it was a new school, schools and libraries. And so that did turn me into a bit of a geek. And regardless of what's going on, I can always put my shoulder into the work and get stuff done. Now that's, so, that's, uh, now that's, very, <laughs> that's very interesting because there's, sort of um, there's a sort of a theme coming out of the US at the moment about the fact that um, in order to be successful broadly, this is a terrible oversimplification, you've got talent and hard work. And you don't have to be the most talented person, but we can all do something about working harder. I mean, the word, it, I'm assuming smarter. Yeah. And um, it's an interesting thing because it seems to have gone out of fashion. And when you talk about millennials, they really sort of talk about the fact that they don't work that hard. Sorry, sort of stereotype cliche yeah. number one, just to get us warmed up. <laughs> but it is, in, it is interesting that actually um, people don't seem to value that. Well, it's, it's interesting. People sort of talk down about this idea of productivity. And, um, and for me, productivity is about doing enough of what's right, not just working randomly on useless stuff, because actually just, you know, seeming to work hard is different from actually working. So, you know, for someone who put their shoulder into the work, where, where do you sit on the, the work versus talent debate? That's so interesting. That's so interesting. I mean, I, I was raised with that kind of Protestant work ethic that the U.S. is known for, where you do need to, to work really hard kind of whether it's toward a goal or not, but you need to be busy. Yeah. And I definitely don't subscribe to that. I'm not a fan of kind of work for work's sake or just because you're bored. I'm a fan of very directed, goal-directed work that is leading to something. And yeah. I work real, I, I focus my activities on what can I do that makes the world a better place as yes. far as my consulting, my writing, all those kinds of things. I do like to stay busy. So that part stuck with me, but definitely not a fan of, 
um, just work for work's sake. Millennials, I think, are, are, are taking a different tact with that, which right. is, you know, for Gen X and baby boomers, we've seen that if you show up for work and you, you work from nine to five or eight to five or whatever, and you look busy, eventually you'll get promoted and eventually you'll get a pension and eventually you'll get, get you know, your just desserts or whatnot. Yes. But kind of showing up and looking busy <laughs> or and being busy will pay off. And I think for millennials who came of age during the recession and now there's all this crazy stuff going on, I think they're seeing that that's not necessarily the case. They saw some of their parents getting laid off. Their parents had showed up for work every day and then got laid off in the Great yeah. Recession. So I think they're much more focused on what is it that I can do that will get an impact more quickly? Okay. So I think that is interpreted as they're impatient. And to me, it seems like a realistic and reasonable response to a kind of bizarre environment that's yes. very different than the one us older people grew up in. Well, I don't, it's interesting, isn't it? Because there is a difference between productivity and busyness. And I remember, sure. um, I remember I had a podcast guest on some while ago. He wrote a book about being busy. And, he, and it's interesting because he drew my attention to it. And I've noticed that. And they say, hi, how are you? Oh, I'm very busy. And it's, right. become a, it's become a mantra, isn't it? But busyness right. isn't effectiveness or productivity. Busyness, as you say, is, is like a bee running around. But at the right. end of the day, it doesn't actually get any pollen or whatever it is that bees get. I'm out of my right. <laughs> biological niche already. <laughs> but it's but a it, great distractor, isn't it? Yes, if you're it busy and you're running all over the place and you're, I don't know, fairing the kids. Yeah, you can just, you can really not think about stuff okay. like you really don't have to be reflective you don't have to uh think of the big picture of where is all this busyness taking me because you're always hopping from thing to thing and i think yeah. that's what this pandemic has has led many right. of us to reassess is you know what do i do now that i'm not busy and now i have to yeah. sit here with myself and my own thoughts and my own purpose and kind of getting into all that deep humanistic thinking uh and it's unsettling for a lot of people Yes. Meanwhile, the millennials keep going because they're just creating another side hustle and moving forward. Yes. Well, I'll tell you what, to start us off then, before we get to millennials, and given that you're an academic, yeah. so I can depend on you for a definition. Ooh, cliche number two. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> so tell me... Former academic. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I know that you're saying that now. Um, <laughs> well, with pride. Um I'm just thinking, what's the difference? And I mean, you know, some people know this, uh, not everybody does, but what's the difference between a, a, a boomer, uh, Gen X, Gen Y, you call them Gen Z, I suppose, don't you? And uh -huh. millennials and... Sure. Go for sure. It. Uh, so millennials were born between 1980 and 2000, approximately. The dates right. are all a little fuzzy. There's no actual official. So these folks are between 20 and 40 right now. I thought they were younger than that. I know we keep thinking they're kids, right? But they're right. 20 to 40. Yeah. Okay. So younger than that um, is Generation Z. And I'll explain the name in a moment. So those are folks, there's no end date quite yet, but those are folks that are born after 2000. So probably okay. going to be between 2000 and 2020 would be my guess. And then we'll yeah. have some pandemic themed generation after that. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so then older than millennials are Gen X. Uh, and these are folks that were born between uh, 65 and 80. And that's the group that I'm in. And oh, so we're in our, oh, thanks. I didn't plan it that way. It just happened. So we're in our 40s and 50s right now. And Gen X came about because people weren't sure what to call 
this next generation because right. we're the ones after baby boomers. So like baby boomers are born around 45 to 65. And then they were like, what's going on with this generation? Someone said, let's call it generation X. And then millennials ended up initially we're generation Y. And so then we have generation Z. So we kind of skipped the why. The why was renamed millennials. Yes. Well, we, everybody's written books about the why. So maybe we couldn't right. do yet another why. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Clashing number exactly. three. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know Very where good. we're going after Z, A or AA yes, or I don't know. A. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe we go backwards again. So, um, so this is fantastic. So, so we've got all these millennials and, and I hear lots of people complaining about them. If you go and have a look at some of the articles I've written, you'll notice that I don't because I'm very conscious that we were the generation that brought them up. Yes. So how on earth can we be complaining <laughs> about them when we're responsible for it? And I think um, there's a sort of an application, isn't there, in the way we think yep. about millennials. And, and you're right, they seem to look for meaning more than they do to seem, than they seem to look for work. In, you know, they're not interested in plowing the fields. They're interested in plowing the fields if it, they can see why it's there. But right. Right. So, so, for, so it's interesting. So, so, talk, so unpack it a little bit more for me, if you would. Yeah, I, I always say that. Like if when, when Gen X and baby boomers are complaining about millennials that they don't know something, who were their parents? Who was it that was supposed to teach them this stuff and did not? Then who yeah. do we have to blame? Like only ourselves here. So I, I completely agree with you on that. And part of why I started writing about millennials and researching millennials is that I don't, I'm a big fan of the underdog. Maybe that's very American of me, but oh, I'm a fan. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> um, but really seeing, you know, we, we, were, we were young once. We were in our 20s. We all were at a first job once yeah. and didn't know what we were doing. And some kind person helped us. Yeah. We figured it out. Yeah. And we didn't figure it out in the absence of any other human being or any other guidance. We figured it out because people helped us. And millennials deserve the same respect i'm saying the word respect uh they de deserve that respect that they're humans too just a bit younger and a little less experienced but they are kicking butt and also if you, if you even if you don't want to respect them just being practical they're already 50 percent of the workforce within another five years they're going to be 75 percent of the workforce they are our future and it doesn't make any sense to bag on them like mm. that's a, that's just that's just not smart because they're going to be the ones taking care of us and running the world. Well, we're paying our pensions. Uh, exactly. Well, <laughs> what, what, I wonder what, I wonder if one of the things is, so I wonder why we have that view of them. Maybe it's because it's, it was almost the fastest technological change in terms of generations that we've experienced. Because if you look at the generation before, actually, we weren't very well linked up. There wasn't so much technology, but the scene, this, this has been such a huge seismic shift in terms of technology and culture, globalization, economic, wealth, yeah. all that sort of stuff. I mean, does that have any bearing or is that irrelevant? Yeah, I think it has a huge bearing. So, I mean, if we think of the changes that have happened from kind of our grandparents, so the people who fought in World War I and World War II, who were adults yeah. then, and then the baby boomers and then Gen X. So baby boomers had, um, had some focus on technology that came about because of the war. And then we, sorry about the noise here. That's all right. Turn that off. Just ignore um, it. We never, and then pretend it just like swan over it. And then we'll never Yeah, but okay, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> sorry about that. Um, so baby boomers came, you know, had a lot of technology that came about after the war. I mean, and, and something like television. My, my mom still talks about like 
the day her family got a television. It was a very big deal. And then the next generation, we got internet. I mean, I remember programming on a Commodore 64 yeah. from way back, you know, yeah. as a kid, just to make it flash my name on and off. Um, and then this generation has just gone so far. Last. I mean, based yeah. on what the older folks are building, um, but they're able, they're so facile at working with technology. And yeah. for folks like us who grew up with, you know, I learned to type on a typewriter. I was taught to type, so I went to typing class. You know, those kinds of things. Um, th it's amazing to see little kids who can work phones better than we can. And I think mm -hmm. there's some sense of, of jealousy. And in a way, there's this sense of like lost youth and, you know, what, what we could have done if we grew up in this world. Of course, there's the negative side of that as well. You know, thank God there wasn't the internet when I was a teenager. <laughs> I'm glad that was not all recorded in, in video and online for posterity. There's challenges and benefits that come with that. And I think mm. that creates a lot of feelings. And, you know, baby boomers and Gen Xers aren't really known for expressing our feelings very well. So, 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 so that happens. So the, so the millennials, in a sense, were the bridge generation. Then we've got the latest one now, Generation Z. So we call it Z, you call it Z. Uh -huh. um, yeah. And it sounds, it sounds like we're all quite happy with Generation Z. It's, it's, the, it's this, the meat in the sandwich, isn't it, between us and them, as it were. And um, I just wonder what it is. I just wonder why, why we look at them and see them as slightly feckless, yeah. lazy, you know, non-resilient you know, I mean, let's just roll right. out all the cliches. No, I mean, like you, I meet lots of millennials and they're absolutely brilliant, often entrepreneurial, yeah. saving the world, all that sort of stuff. I just wonder whether we haven't really adapted corporate cultures to deal with the news, new ways of thinking. So in other words, they've gone into a very stereotypical old corporate setting or a governmental organizational setting, and actually they look different. And actually, that's a good thing, but we need to change to make the most, most of them. Right. They do look different, but they look different in ways that challenge us. So okay. again, we, we were the ones who in our 20s and 30s were going to work, putting into nine to five and, yeah. you know, waiting our turn to, for advancement. The millennials walk in and after six months on the job, they expect a raise. Yeah. And they expect a, a reward for doing their job or for going above and beyond. Yeah. And we, we have been taught over and over again, you don't get a reward for doing your job. That's what your paycheck is for. And you have to put your nose to the grindstone and you have to wait your turn and you have to all this other stuff. And here they are expecting something better. And I think that that's bound that's to create thing. resentment. Yeah. 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 So and keep design. in mind, I mean, all the way back to like ancient Roman times, people have been complaining about young people. Like their yeah. young people are going to ruin the world. Yeah. That's, that's just kind of a pastime. And I think, I wonder if the baby boomers were kind of a little complacent around Gen X because we just kind of wandered around aimlessly. That's kind of the view of Gen X and we're pretty quiet. So we were like middle children. And then these millennials came busting out of the gate and they're not middle children at all. They are ready to go and they're asking lots of questions and they're demanding answers. And so then the older folks are just like, wait, what happened? Where is this? <laughs> so what's interesting is, um, I mean, you, we, we're laughing a little bit about what you, what happens next, but the generation after this one are going to be going into an organizational setting. They're going to be completely comfortable with technology in a way that the millennials, I can't say millennials, it's one of those words, but in a sense that each generation is getting faster, it's quicker, it's expecting more. Yeah. I mean, they seem to be much more yeah. accepting of people and difference and diversity and they seem to take Definitely. under their, I mean, they don't have all this trouble with 
a lot of the um, divisions in the world. Right. They? they seem to be much more accepting of difference. Well, where, what is, right. where's that come from? Uh, I think it's the, the waves of... <laughs> <laughs> oh, now it's great parenting. Yeah, see, suddenly I realized. <laughs> I, think, I, I think they're absorbing the the changes that have happened. And I think Gen Z really wants things to make sense. And that's, that's good and bad because uh, they ask the questions and they're basically asking the older generations to explain things in a way that makes sense. And sometimes we can, and sometimes we can't. And when we can't explain something like why are people acting differently toward each other because of their race or gender or sexual orientation or whatever, we don't have a good explanation from that uh, for that other than, People were bigoted, you know, and then that makes us examine our own beliefs and the, what we have tolerated. It creates this strong cognitive dissonance um, that I think it makes it easy to blame kind of the messenger to, to point to the Gen Z and say, well, it's your fault. I feel uncomfortable because you're the one who asked the question when that it's that's the wave of the future. Okay, so that's, something that's where so we're something, going. So something moved you to write a book, and I'm in the middle of doing a book at the moment. And uh, you know, I look at people who've written right? seventy three books, and you think to yourself, "Why am I bothering?" Because uh, it must, obviously <laughs> gets easier. So, what moved you first of all to write a book and tell us about? Um, is it the first one, uh, Millennial's Guide to Management Leadership? Is that the first one? Uh, Millennial's Guide to Work was the first one. Yeah. So I wanted to write first Millennial's Guide to Management and Leadership, and I. As I mentioned in academia, I worked with a lot of young people over a lot of time and helped them into their internships and helped them work, work in the world of work. Uh, and I fell in with this group of young people where I was the oldest by probably at least 10 years. Uh, and we would talk about different things. And when they found out I was interested in work stuff, they would bring their work problems to me. And I would always point them toward becoming a manager, becoming a leader, becoming a boss. And finally, one of them said to me with complete exasperation, Jen, I don't want to be a manager. I just want to learn how to deal with my colleague who takes credit for my work. I just want to deal with this basic stuff. And I thought, yeah. oh, oh, here's an opportunity. <laughs> so I wrote Millennial's Guide to Work uh, first, which is all the basic work skills. So this is good for younger millennials and for Gen Z who are new to the workplace. And it has basic issues around basic work skills like networking and negotiating and coming up with your own goals and understanding your values. And then it gets into self-management so managing the things where we're all, when we are our own worst enemy where we uh, aren't motivated or we're not focused or we're bored at work managing colleagues and then managing bosses so dealing so that, with our bosses so me basically you're teaching to be employees Yes, uh, somehow, we, yeah, staff. when you said that it kind of has a negative connotation no, no, it's me. not meant to be that but it's, it's very yeah. interesting because you know, I'm thinking back to, you know, perhaps our, our time when, I mean, I don't remember seeing a book about how to become an, a, a better employee, actually, but then you say that, I think, oh yeah, I've got a few behind me, actually, on my <laughs> bookshelf. But it is interesting, isn't that, that you, I mean, I love the fact that you spotted the gap. Um, so what you're saying is you're, you're helping them, because, because is this because of a, a, a sort of traditional education that's not equipped them for a, yeah. an old-fashioned way of working? Right. It's helping make that, helping them make that transition and not just to be a better employee, but to be successful and respected at work and right. successful is whatever they want to be. Maybe their goal is to just clock in and clock out and be an employee and keep their head down and cash their check. That's fine. This yeah. will help you with that because it'll help you navigate through challenges. If you also instead want to get ahead 
then this will help you with that as well. But it helps you understand this new environment because a lot of times the, the millennials and the Gen Z were not raised in this kind of environment and clearly the older folks aren't helping them. So here's a guide to help them deal with their own challenges internally, like motivation or dealing with other people. What, what do you do when your boss is a jerk? None of us are really trained to deal with that. I wasn't trained to deal with that. I mean, I should have guessed given how many jerks I knew, but you know, when your boss is a jerk, it's a different situation. And so it gives people ideas. Each of those categories, uh, each of those chapters has between 10 and 20 ideas for these are specific concrete things you can do, whether it's change your expectations of what to expect from someone, which can sometimes make all the difference in the world, uh, and how to talk to them, how to have difficult conversations, how to modify things so that you can be successful. And yeah. to me, it's so important because at least for me in the, in the workplace and what I see in the people, the students I worked with and the people I consult with, we often default to thinking it must be something I'm doing wrong when it's not something we're doing wrong necessarily. There are just people out there who don't know how to deal with other people mm. or who mm. aren't good bosses or who, mm. who do take credit for other people's work because, you know, whatever reason, they didn't have great parents like us. And, and, and so, <laughs> and so, uh, <laughs> and so um, there are a lot of organizations, a lot of, um, you know, uh, um, new modern organizations, Silicon Valley, you know, traditionally, cliche number 73, um, that are full of millennials and they don't have all the old dinosaurs floating around. Right. So is that why you wrote the guide to management? So in other words, millennials could yeah. learn to sort of, you know, run the, run the place in a sort of a more modern way. Yeah, that's, and, and that's so interesting. I went back to this group and said, I wrote this book and what do you think? And they had given me feedback on it. And then, and then the same one who said, I'm, I'm not interested in being a manager now said, okay, now write the management book because now I want to advance. I, <laughs> I want to be a manager. So I went to that one and yeah, this helps them manage other people, including managing people who are older than them, which can be a challenge and how to get into a little more of the workplace strategy. And, you know, we'd love that everyone behaves themselves, but as we know, that doesn't always happen. And kind of how do you advance your, your goals and how do you advance your mission and your strategy as a manager, which is now part of your responsibility as opposed to an employee at work, and take care of your staff at the same time. Okay. And so it addresses those issues. Okay. Now, now as someone who's writing a book and spending hours and hours and hours and such like, and pouring over the research now comes the usual question so tell me one thing <laughs> so what one thing should um a non-millennial do to get the best out of millennials listen okay listen to them yeah wow. ask them questions and listen to them okay. ask them what they're struggling with what do you like doing how can i help you how can i be here for you what do you need listen to what they're saying and then try to help them Okay, and let's reverse that question. What's one thing that millennials should be doing to get the best out of people who aren't millennials? <laughs> uh, you know, I would say the same thing as listen, but I would that say... That would be a cop-out uh, though, come on. That would, that would. Okay, let me find something else. Shout. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say have the, have the difficult conversations. Yeah. Don't let someone's age or any of their characteristics keep you from having the difficult conversation to say what's going on here. And I would say be, be direct. That's that that would be my Ooh, <laughs> my talking, advice for the younger people. What like tough yeah, love leadership? Yeah, well, and I don't mean being a jerk, 
No. You don't have to be tough, but to be direct, direct. you know, even if, yeah. if they have someone on their staff who's older than them and who has an issue for whatever reason to say, Hey, what's going on here? Let's talk about this. You seem unhappy. You know, it's you not see, just a, yeah. That's, that's interesting. Cause what you were saying earlier was that this is a group of people who don't look at things like gender and age and sexual orientation. Yet you're saying they yeah. find difficulty dealing with people who are older than them. Now, is that actually because it's the people who are older than them having the issue? Or do actually, I think so. does everybody at work have a sort of thing with perceived status, white privilege, all that sort of stuff? Is that part of it? Well, you know, we all bring... Just throw, I'll just throw a hand grenade into Sure. No, no, this is good. <laughs> You're making me think here uh, really hard. So, yes, every, so everyone has issues. So let me, let me start from that. And sometimes I wonder, like, how is it we all get along in the world when we're all essentially trying to resolve our childhood issues by bouncing them off each other all the time. I mean, that's kind of my view, maybe as a psychologist, but we all bring stuff to work. And whether that is issues with authority, issues with weakness, issues, perceived weakness, issues with certain gender or, or race groups, like whatever it is, we bring issues. I think for younger people who are supervising older people, those issues are likely to kind of meet in a head. Or like they're really likely to bounce up against each other because they're more likely to have some some reps. So, for example, if I had issues working with men and the men doesn't man doesn't have more issue working with me, like my issues only not going to have it much to hold on to. Like yeah. it's it's going to go away because we don't have kind of uh, opposite and uh, not complementary but antagonistic views. Yes. But I think with young people and old people that and older people, that's become more of an issue. Yes. Um, and so then the younger person has to deal with their sense of, am I good enough? Are they judging me? Um, do I really know what I'm doing? How can I tell them what they're doing? They probably feel bad, that kind of thing. Whereas yeah. the older person's dealing with, you know, who is this young person telling me what to do? And I worked hard and why is it that blah, 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 or maybe I should be in that position, right? So those issues are really gonna be yeah. antagonistic toward each other. And so yeah. I suggest for everyone, but especially for a young person who's in that position to be direct and to say, what's going on? How can we deal with this? And yeah. try to get to, whatever it is. It's not like they have to do therapy together, but just kind of just talk about it, yes. figure out how to, how to work together. We don't all have to like each other, be friends, but we do have to find a way to work together. It, that's interesting, isn't it? So what you're saying is um, almost like a mediated approach rather than a therapeutic approach. So it's about finding common ground rather than fixing your problems. Because actually it seems to me that you have to depersonalize people and over-personalize people at the same time, don't you? Because you need to get away from the traditional groupings, but you've also got to have the empathy to want to bother in the first place. And I think that holding those two constructs in your head at the same time is quite a challenge, isn't it? It is. And I can't wait to read your book. Yes. <laughs> I must just add that in. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I love it. And I think that is challenging for for everyone involved to have to hold all these different things in their head. So when we're talking, I can, I can just kind of gloss over and be, you know, what people would call colorblind or genderblind or like, yeah. I don't really see who you are. I just see you as kind of a cog in this wheel that I have to get going. Yeah. And I mean, that's a very like 1920s yeah. way of looking that's at right. things, but that's, yeah. and that's not really what we're, what we do here. Yeah. But if I understand you as a person with your own thoughts and desires, with your own goals, with your own insecurities, with your own background and family and all the reasons you came to this work, like that 
that's a lot more complex, especially when you have multiple employees and then trying to figure out how do we best work together. I usually start, I try to start, not always, but I try to start disagreements with what's something we agree on. And then usually it's, you know, we agree on 80% of the stuff. It's just a tiny bit that we don't. So let's first, let's remember this. Mm. Yeah. And then let's, let's work on the small proportion that we don't agree on. And maybe there's a way we can find to avoid it, to work through it, to work around it, to go over it, under it, like to find another way to work together so that we don't let that 20% or even less get in the way of the 80% where we do agree. Mm. Interesting. So, so most of those of you listening are probably saying, I'm having a thoroughly lovely time and enjoying our conversation with Jennifer <laughs> eWisdom.com. And um, I have to be very respectful of your time, Jennifer. How do people get in touch with you? Where do they find your books and all of the, tell me, this is, this is your moment. I'm shining the light. It's my moment. Stand yes. So you can uh, find my books on Amazon and I would say wherever books are sold, but not everybody is, can go out to bookstores and, and shop around right now because of the pandemic, but definitely oh, it's available. On- it's all finished. Right. So it's definitely available online at the usual suspects, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, I think it's available on walmart.com and some other places as well. Um, so Millennials Guide to Work, Millennials Guide to Management and Leadership. And then you can also go to my website, leadwithwisdom.com. There's a free download where you can get a, a piece of the book, a sneak peek of the book there. And you can join my mailing list and get some more information there that I send out periodically around uh, how to work not only as a millennial, but how to work with millennials and how to become your best self, regardless of what generation you're in. Yes. Excellent. Brilliant. I really enjoyed this. And um, six five-star reviews. Woohoo! Thank you. It's all those millennials <laughs> queuing up to give you five stars. I hope so. I hope Brilliant. so. I've thoroughly enjoyed today, Jennifer. Thank you so much. You really opened, um, I think, uh, my eyes and probably lots of other people's to this idea that, you know, um, there's somehow a strange bunch of beasts out there. That they're just normal people like us that just need to be. It's that thing about leading with a little bit of um, care and concern. You know, who who yeah. thought? Yeah, who thought? empathy goes a long way. Yeah, certainly does. Thank you so much for your time. My, it's been a my joy pleasure. to talk to you. Thank you so much. Same you here. T- Same you, here. You, you take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.